today we wanted to talk a little bit about freedom in a way that is unique. And the, I heard someone say this, the number one commandment that God gives us as people over 300 times in the Bible is do not be afraid. He repeats it over and over and over. But yet, many here are afraid. And throughout this year, we've talked a lot about what are the things that make us afraid. And today, I think, especially in this season, when you look at what's going on in the world, if you have a retirement fund, you've looked at your, your funds, and you're just like, oh, man, I am afraid. And I think finances and money is the number two thing that people say Jesus has talked about, and it makes us afraid. And, and I want to talk a little bit about freedom from that fear specifically. You know, when Ellie was in treatment, we were in the hospital for four years back and forth, and the church was so generous in supporting us financially. The, the idea was this. We don't want you to worry about, you have enough to worry about, could we just take that off your plate? And they did. And I would remember, I would go to Target, and Ellie was on FaceTime, and she would be at the hospital, I'll be at Target, and I'd be like, Ellie, what do you want? You can have anything you want. And so in the beginning, Ellie was like, you know what, Dad, I want an LOL doll. Can you get me a Nintendo Switch game? Like, money's not a factor. And I would just buy her all this stuff. But see, what happened is after time, say, Ellie, what do you want? She's like, I just want you to be here. Don't even go to Target. And it, what happened was it's a perspective shift, right? Because we think, well, money will buy happiness. Money will solve this issue. But for her, she's like, would you just sit and play the board game Clue with me? Because she had all the material things. And what she realized is something that I think some of us are slow to realize is that those things aren't going to satisfy the things that you're really looking for. And I really want to jump into this because for me, for me, it has been something that has often made me terrified. Do we have enough? Have you ever looked at someone and said, I wish I was like them. They don't think about or worry about money. And you look at them and you say, oh, I wish I was like that. We all thought of that. You probably have people in your mind are like, oh, I wish I was like that. But here's what I have realized, that those people, it's not a matter of how much or how little they have. It's a matter of their perspective, and I want to dive into that. Because Americans, the number one worry, statistically, 36% of Americans in this poll said their number one worry is financial instability or fear of a financial crisis. Go in lockdown mode. And we will say to ourselves... And I'm saying myself, and maybe you can join me in this. My life will be better when. My life will be better when we have more room, maybe a bigger house. We had a friend come from Kenya, and I said, well, what did you think? And he said, he, he had a lot of feedback. And one thing, he's like, tell me more about these guest bedrooms you have in your homes. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're telling me you have a room in your house just in case. And for them, this was like mind-blowing. They're like, what do you mean, I guess, bedroom? We just fill it up because they would live in one or two bedrooms and a family of about eight. But we will say, my life will be 
better when we have a nicer car. My life will be better when we have a vacation or a better vacation or a bigger vacation or a vacation home. Our life will be better when, and you fill in the blank. And this is a game I play, you play, we sit there, our life will be better. Now, there are other things that we talk about and a different, our life will be better when my relationship is better, when healthy is better, if it's a, it's a health crisis, my life will be better, blah, blah, blah. But specifically with finance, we play this game. My life will be better when. And this is what Jesus says. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 19. And this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is given this, epic sermon and he's basically saying this is how to live in my kingdom under my rule following my rules and there are rules but these rules are meant to to give you freedom and he goes through all these things and he says this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 he says this do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I want to pause there because what was happening there? Their homes, they didn't have windows. So literally, things would be stolen and vermin and rats would come in. It was this free-flowing thing. Right now, if you're like us, we have the code that you lock in. We leave. I'm going to go take out the trash, lock everything. We got cameras, come back. This was different time where people can come in and out and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure Treasures in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness." Talking about perspective. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, one can serve No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You read that, and you think, sounds good. Here's the beauty about Jesus. The next thing he says is he goes into a whole spiel, and he says, Therefore, do not worry. Do not be anxious about your life. So he addresses their anxiety, their fear, and says, no, 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 no. I'm saying don't serve money or finances or the pursuit of worldly possessions. Serve me. And everyone's like, well, how are we going to live? It's like, therefore, don't worry. And basically he's saying, I got you. I got you. This word money, I just read a book. It's called The Life We're Looking For by Andy Crouch. And it's a great summer read. But he goes into, and he depicts this word money. It's not translated as money. It's translated as this word called mammon. And what mammon is, is mammon is, in the Arabic word, which it's derived from, is the pursuit of worldly things and pleasures. It's basically described as an idol of materialism. So when he says you cannot serve both God and money, he's saying you cannot both serve God, the pursuit of God, and mammon, the pursuit of worldly things and possessions and materialism. It opens up. In in English, it kind of minimizes what this, this word is. But mammon is something that Andy Crouch puts it this way. We cannot serve the true God and mammon 
ultimately because their aims are precisely opposed to each other. God wishes to put all things into the service of persons and ultimately to bring forth the flourishing of creation through the flourishing of persons. So God is in the business of growing people. While mammon wants to put all persons into the service of things and ultimately to bring about the exploitation of all creation. This is what Proverbs 11.28 says, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a green leaf. This word riches is mammon. Psalm 27, this is what David says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. What I think is interesting, and I, and I wrote this on a, on a post many, many years ago when Ellie was in full treatment, is that David is saying some trust in chariots and some horses. But when you go and look at the battles, what does David come riding in on? He uses horses and chariots to battle the Philistines with whatever enemy he's fighting. So it's not a matter of having or using, it's a matter of where you put your trust in. And I think this is so important because he's saying don't trust in it. Your hope, your trust is not in things, it's not in mammon, but it's in the Lord. But that doesn't mean you don't use these things. You're not called to go out and live in the woods and just say I'm going to be off the grid and not interact with anybody or spend any money on anything. It's where you put your trust in. So the question for I have for you guys is where do you put your trust in really? And I say really because I think we all want to say the Sunday school answer and be like, Jesus, God. But, but I want to push back and say, really, where do you put your trust in? And some of you may not have the Sunday school answer, and some of you may not say Jesus. And, and for you... I just want to say, would you give Jesus a try? A story I mentioned a couple months ago was a story of this guy in Iran who was running a radio ministry. And in Iran, it was illegal to be a Christian. And what happened was this daughter whose mom was dying of cancer called into the radio show. And she said, hey, I want to go on your radio show and I want to let you know that tonight on your show, me and my mom are going to commit suicide. And so this guy said, you know what? Before you do that, would you give Jesus a try just for one week? And she's, he said, what do you have to lose? You're already going to kill yourself. What do you have to lose? So she said, fine. And so he led her in a prayer, but that she later said, I didn't really mean it, but I said the words, and it's basically saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust in you, la-di-da-da. Well, she calls in later, and, and what happened was this. Her mom had a visit from Jesus and became completely cured from her disease. She herself had a vision of Jesus, and she gave Jesus a week, and Jesus showed up, basically saying, I'm the one to trust. She went on to bring many, many other Iranian girls to Jesus Christ based on that experience. So for you saying, hey, I don't really trust in Jesus, I just say, would you give Jesus a try? But there are many here who say, oh, yeah, 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 I put my faith in Jesus, and I just want to push back a little bit and say, really? So there's a story of a man who used to go on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. This was back in the early 1900s. 
he had a big group, and now I looked it up. It's illegal to do that. You can get one person gets permission, I think, every 50 years to do like a Niagara Falls stunt because so many people haven't made it. But this guy's going back and forth. He gets a wheelbarrow, and he goes, and everyone's cheering and cheering. He's like, I can't believe he can do it with a wheelbarrow. And then he said, who thinks I can take someone in the wheelbarrow and go across? Like, you can do it. You can do it. Who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? I trust you can do it, but not enough to put my life at stake. That's what I think a lot of people are with Jesus. I trust you can provide for me, but not enough to do the things I think you're calling me to do. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 32. If you were watching any of the Fireside Kid videos that we put on YouTube, this was one of them where we had Matt and Steve as old men talking about, you know, saying yes and not doing it or saying no and doing it. And this is where it comes from. And Jesus says this, There was a man who had two sons. This is a parable. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he said, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? And they all responded the first. As a father, I resonate with this story. Emmy, would you go clean your room? No. And then she does it. She comes out with a smirk. I'm like, awesome. I don't care if you said no. What I care is if your room's clean. That is the exception. The norm is this. Emmy, will you clean your room? Of course, Dad. Time goes by. Emmy, clean your room. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Never gets done. And so Jesus is saying the same thing. Do you trust me? And we'll say, yeah, yeah, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Well, then feed my sheep. Or do this or do that. Like, maybe when the market's better, maybe when we're in a different place or a season. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in verse chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Pure trust is not saying you'll do it. It's actually doing it. Are you willing, are we willing to be more vulnerable to be more reliable on Jesus. Because the reason why we don't want to trust is because it puts us in a vulnerable position. I, I, I kind of like to control what I can control. And what happens is we become more and more reliable on ourselves and on what we perceive success to be. And what Jesus is saying, the number one thing I want you to do is to trust in me. So, how can we be free from this fear of money? I am not a financial expert by no means, but I love scripture, and Jesus says, talks about all the time. I always want to pull out some things which I believe Jesus and the scriptures are saying, and one thing is it's not about how much we have, but how we use it. It's not about how much we have, but our perspective with it. First Timothy 6, verse 13, 17 through 19. This is what Paul says to his apprentice, Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in this present world 
not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So Paul's not saying don't be rich. He's saying have a different perspective. But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take a hold of which, which is life indeed. When you get face-to-face with the Creator Almighty, do you think they're going to care about what you have in terms of worldly possessions or your bank account? Do you think they're honestly going to care how great your vacation was? Or is he going to say, did you trust me? Did you live for me? Where is your treasure? My, my hope is that one day that we will all, everyone here will be in heaven in the arms of Jesus. And there will be people that will come up to us and say, you impacted my life on earth. You brought heaven to earth in my life that I got to know this man, Jesus Christ, more and more and more because of the way you lived. That's my hope for a fireside. That's our success. And I know it's really hard to measure here on this earth. But what if we had that perspective? So it's not a matter of how much we have, but how we use it. And one of the things that someone told me about that's been so convicting, because I was guilty of this, it's a question of, are you, what are you choosing not to spend, or what are you choosing to spend on? So when we would go to Target, I would tell my kids this. Hey, they want all these toys, throw them in the cart. And I would say, we can't afford that, or we don't have enough money. You've all probably said this before. And my friend called me out, and I said, you know, you can afford that. It's only $5. And what am I telling my kids? Like, ah, we don't have enough money by that. But then I'm stacking it with all this organic mango that costs like $10 a bag. It starts to get confusing. Well, wait a minute. You, I thought you said you couldn't afford it. And so what he told me that he says to his kids, that's what I am starting to say, is we are, not, we are choosing not to spend our money on that. We are choosing not to spend our money on this toy. Or whatever it may be. And it has really changed. Because I don't want them to think, like, oh, we don't have enough money for that, but we can spend money on this. It's like, no, no, no. Because the bottom line is this. We do have enough money to spend money on those toys, for sure. But we just don't choose to spend our money that way. Actually, if you look at your life as a whole, you look at other people who maybe have nicer things and vacations, and you can apply the same thing. So for us. When we first bought our house, there was this old 1988 hot tub in this, like, broken down, like, hot tub room. And so when Kate and I got in a little fight, truth be told, when we went to closing, Kate's like, could you put in the closing that they, the owners have to get rid of the hot tub? And I looked at her, I'm like, what? The hot tub? I'm like, I got a friend. I know a guy who can fix this hot tub. And Kate's like, are you kidding me? So we had to go off to the side and kind of talk about, come back to the lawyer. Like, we can keep the hot tub. Yes. But this hot tub has been amazing. And we would get in the hot tub and it'd be awesome. And I think this is, I am, I am not a sponsor for mainly hot tubs, but I do think it's really great for your marriage because it's like no screens, you get to talk. And so we'd get in this hot tub. It's fantastic. And then we got our electric bill. And then we had had a decision. Do we choose to spend money on this hot tub or not? And we went back and forth and we said, you know, we do. 
we're going to choose to spend money this way. But there's other things that we're going to not choose to spend money on. And that's the perspective that we should have. Because what we say is like, no, 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 no. We want this and we want that and this and this and we want everything. And it starts to become a, a perspective that things are owed to us. Second little tip that Andy Stanley, a pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia, said that's always stuck with me. He says this, don't buy anything that you aren't willing to lend out. Don't buy anything that you aren't willing to lend out. This is especially true of anyone who has a truck. <laughs> because I think we say, like, oh, it, because it becomes so sacred to us. And if your possession becomes so sacred that you're not willing to let anyone use it, are you really trusting in God? Has that thing become an idol to you? This is how the early church looked in Acts 4.32. It said, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Why don't we do this anymore? This is what Andrew Crouch says. He says, the distinctive thing that money allows us, its most seductive promise, is abundance without dependence. That we can have more when relying on less. So I just did my, we made a little office for Fireside HQ is in the, the dungeon of our basement. And we had some of you guys come over, and it was awesome. And I, we didn't get to finish it, and I needed a nail gun. And so I go to Home Depot, and this is a true story. This happened two weeks ago. And I have a nail gun in my hand, $250. It was on sale, too. And I'm like, do I buy this nail gun? This is, this is my mind. And I had my kids with me, and I call Kate, and I'm like, Kate, should I buy this nail gun? She's like, I don't know anything about that. Do, do whatever you want. I'm like, okay, that didn't help. And, but then I'm like, every guy I know has a nail gun. Do I call them and ask for one, or do I just buy one myself? If I buy one myself, I can use it whenever I want. I could go home. I could finish the project that night. But if I ask for someone, then we got to coordinate. Then I got to go there. They got to come here. Then I'm afraid to break it and all this stuff. But I'm like, all right, is $300 worth the dependence that I'm seeking? Have you guys had those things in your mind? And I got really guilty, and I put it down. And I called up a friend, and I'm like, could, could I borrow your nail gun? <laughs> Absolutely. Come by anytime. It's yours. I got nails, as many as you want. Still haven't gotten it yet, but I will. <laughs> but see, what I'm doing, and you've done the same thing, is I want abundance without dependence. This is the exact opposite that God had created the church to be. I want you to be dependent on me, and I also want you to be dependent on others. When someone says, hey, what do you need? How can I help you? say, no, 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 I don't need anything. I'm good. It's like a pride thing. I don't need anybody. Like, No, Scripture says you do need us. Whatever you're going through, you need people in your life. Because this is the church that God has created to be building his kingdom here on earth. 
Another example was we were in South Carolina, and we were at a really rich place staying there for a week. It was phenomenal. It was a, it was a gift to us, and it was just amazing. But every house had a sprinkler system in it. Nothing against sprinkler systems. The reason I know is because we had a golf cart, and when the water would go on, I would back the golf cart so my kids would get drenched. And I did it so much that they started getting, like, pruned in case you got to stop it. I'm like, I just didn't think there was this many sprinklers going on. But so sprinkler systems are automatic. You don't have to do anything. They go on, go off. You don't have to touch anything. And then I was going back to about 12 years ago, I took a mission trip to Mexico. And in Mexico, we had our friend Nick D'Onofrio. If you guys know Nick D'Onofrio, he's fluent in Spanish. And every morning, this was the routine. He would take the hose, and he would go out, and it was all dirt. And everyone in the neighborhood would go out, and they would spray the road in front of us to minimize the dust. And he would be chatting up, and he became friends with everybody. Oh, that's Miguel, and this is uh, Pedro. And it was just this community feel that we've missed because we just have the switch that does it by itself. And we miss out on the community that God has given us because we are looking for abundance without dependence. But this is what I love about scripture is that God says, no, I want you to be dependent on me. Actually, I want that. I want you to be in a position where you can come to the place and say, I can't do this. And God's like, yes, because I can. I am so afraid. Do not be afraid because I am God. I am with you. He wants us to be in that position. The position that we're running away from, he's actually calling us into because he wants us to rely and be dependent on him. And he's given us these, these practices. One we talked about a little bit last week, Sabbath. I want you to take a day off. I love you. This is a gift. Take a day off. Just do it. I can't do it. Well, and I mentioned this last week, I was convicted because what I came to the conclusion is I feel like um, I'm not as important as I thought I was, right? If I don't respond to this text or this email, then, you know, Fireside is no longer going to exist. I'm going to come in on a Sunday, no one's going to be here, and everyone's like, ah, you didn't respond to my text, so I'm out of here. It's like, I'm not that important. And so I'm like, okay, let's do Sabbath. My, my buddy, his name was Ryan Lawrence, he now has his Masters of Divinity, PhMD, went to Columbia University, and now is the head of the Columbia Psych Unit. And he took every Sunday off from school. He never studied. I know that because it would be Saturday. I'm like, hey, Ryan, let's go out. Let's go mountain biking. Let's hang out. He's like, I can't. got to study. I'm like, it's Saturday night. Meanwhile, on Sunday, he's chilling, and I'm like crazily trying to get my homework done. And he did that. And he now has three degrees and all this success in terms of uh, uh, his career. Look at Chick-fil-A, the number two grossing restaurant. They're closed on Sundays. You listen to podcasts that talk about how financially crazy that is. That doesn't make any sense. But yet they stay true to the Sabbath. Another practice is tithing. And I know tithing is this word that a lot of churches are, are, are kind of hesitant because the churches really have messed up with finances. We have a finance team here. I don't know who gives. I don't want to know. They kind of direct our church. But for me, what it becomes an issue is a trust issue. See, the word tithe is become a church word, but it really is not a church word. What it is, if you go back to Old Testament, it's like to give your first tenth to the Lord. Why? I want you to know that what you have is from me, and I want you to be dependent on me. 
I'll give you a really easy mathematical way to look at it. So let's say you have a tomato tree. It has 10 beautifully ripe tomatoes. The first one you pluck should be giving to building heaven here on earth. It should be giving to God in his way. The other nine, have an awesome salsa. Have a party. But what we say is, I worked hard for this tomato plant, and the first one's mine. And God said, no, 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 this is what I want to say. And then people say, well, well, look at the recession. Look at them. Like, God knows. God, God sees you. And the reason why he doesn't talk about it in the New Testament so much is because it was so ingrained in their system, in their culture. They never even thought about it. It was like saying in New England, hey, guys, we need more New England Patriot fans. I don't need to say it because all the smart ones are already New England Patriot fans. But that's what this word tithing is. When I was in Kenya, I remember sitting there, and people would literally go to the altar and drop off their tithings. It wasn't money. I mean, there were chickens, grains. Someone brought a goat. And now we had the rest of the church service was chickens running everywhere and a goat and piles of grain. They would literally take the first of their flock and give it to the Lord. It was amazing. I remember mangoes was a big part because where we stay in Kenya is on the coast of mangoes. And there would be bags of mangoes over and over again. They'd just drop off mangoes. Their first mangoes that they picked, they would give to the Lord. I was telling this to Mikiel, who grew up in Holland, and I was, I was, I was talking about this passage. And I, and I was saying, Mikiel, did you know that not only in the Old Testament did they tithe, so when they would grain a field, they would take the tenth, the first bags of grain, and give it to the Lord. But then they would leave the corners untouched. So they would let those with less come and take grain. So they would actually give more. And Mikiel was like, they still do this in Holland. That their common practice is that you don't touch the sides or the corners of the field. You allow people to come and pick that. This goes so against our culture here in America. Because if you were working in a field and you missed a corner, you're going to get yelled at, possibly fired. I know this. I used to be a blueberry raker. And we would rake these blueberries. We had these lines that we'd have to stay in. And then my uncle, who was my boss, he would follow me and say, Andy, you missed two there. You missed some there. I mean, our culture is like, you get what you can get. You take it all. It's all for you. And I think Jesus is looking. It's like, what are you talking about? So they would even give more. And we see that Jesus and his disciples, they're going and they're picking up food on the side of the road. You know, you, you look at Ruth in that story and, and Naomi, and you look at that story. Naomi and, and Boaz, he would leave his field so they could come and take grain. And as Christians... Shouldn't we be known for our generosity, not our stinginess? Ten years ago, I'm in a restaurant, and I said, how's business? It was a Sunday after church, and she's like, honestly, this is the worst shift. I'm like, why? Because when the church people come to lunch, they're the worst dippers. And I felt so bad. I was like, so where are you coming from? Uh, the beach. (laughs) Because we are known not for our generosity, and we should be. We should be generous because we have a different value system. We should not be afraid because we have a different perspective on who provides. Kate grew up as a missionary 
in Kenya. And she said, with every year we'd come and we would not have enough money to give back to the country. Year after year, we just saw that God would just miraculously provide. It's not a laziness. I mean, we're doing the best we can, and God would just provide. When we started, when we planted Fireside, we got a, our last paycheck from our previous job was June 1st. We had three months of no way of getting income. Our church was still meeting in small groups. We haven't really been established. And we were like, what are we going to do? And I remember being on my knees like, God, is this your will? So that's a question. God, do you want me to take this step? And we felt very confident that it was. And for three months, for every month, it was the craziest thing. So the first was these, this yacht club had this like dingy kind of race and say, hey, we saw your story. We want to do a fundraiser for you. Like, okay, we go. And they give us exactly a paycheck's worth for that month. Like, whoa. Next month, same thing happened. Hey, we, we want to, God called us to, want to bless you. We want to give you this. Three times that happened to finally, okay, you're like, okay, God, this is, this is of you. This is for you. And I just want to release you guys from this fear that I believe that God is asking us to be dependent on him when we are actually running away from that. He wants us to put us in, in that position. I want the band to come up, and as the band comes out, I just want to end with this, because I think we miss out on seeing God providing for us, because we believe the lie that we have already provided for ourselves. You miss that. People say, I want God to do big things in my life, but we don't want to be in a position where big things need to happen. God, would you step up? But don't put me in a position where I need you to step up. Keep my life pretty good and actually add to it. You know, I, I, I can be self-sustaining myself. I can be self-dependent on myself. I don't need anybody. But God, it would be really nice if you know I got a better job. I got this. I got that. All these things. And this is what Hebrew says. Keep your lives free from the love of mammon. And be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Free yourselves from the fear of money. He doesn't want us to be a slave to mammon, but to have freedom. Solomon, who they still think was the richest, wisest man to ever live, and they did all this math, and they said that his peak net worth was at two trillion dollars in today's. Two trillion. If you go back, you see his like palace was literally made out of gold. He had everything he wanted. And this is what he says. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Two trillion dollars, and he's saying, you'll never have enough. You'll never have enough worldly possessions to fill what you're looking for, but I am your enough. I am your enough. One thing I've been convicting is as, the, as we grow God's kingdom here in New England, which is one of the harshest places spiritually, it's hard soil. The one thing that I pray is would we never be burdened about building God's kingdom? Would we never be hindered because of finances? Would that be the thing that, God, you would just abundantly show? Would you just show up in that way? That should not, and, and imagine what we could do. 
And would you help us see your perspective and, and be free from the fear? This is, this is the one thing that I hope that you all get is that we can have freedom from the fear of finances because God's got us. And mammon prevents you from enjoying what God has given you. My dad was an, I talked about my dad on Father's Day. He was a workaholic and when he was dying, I'm so thankful for the time that we spent with him. He paid for my college. He was so generous. But when I look back at my dad, it's the time and the man, the character that he was. That's how we're going to be remembered. And that's how God wants us to be remembered. Lord, would you just free us? Would you let us truly do what we say? And when we say we trust you, would our actions reflect that, Jesus? Would we receive that commandment of do not be afraid, Lord? Would we look at everything as a blessing and as a gift and appropriately act that way, Lord? You are a God who gives generously, Jesus. And so would you continue to make us dependent? I know it's a hard prayer, Lord, but I'm asking all of us, Lord, would you put us in a position of dependence, Lord, that we could grow your kingdom, that we could learn to trust you more and more, Jesus. So would you put us in that position, Lord, instead of our tendency to be independent? So, Lord, we come on our knees, saying, Jesus, yes, I trust you. And my actions are going to reflect that. I'm not going to serve mammon, but I'm going to serve God, Lord. Would you free me from those fears? And in your name we pray, amen.